Hey, welcome to the Construction Generate Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Lenning, and I'm here to talk about all things business for the home service industry. From interior design to plumbing, I know that finding strategy, marketing, and ideas specific to the home service industry isn't easy. So I'm giving you the best advice for building your online presence and bringing on some industry professionals to provide even more value along the way. If you're ready to build your home service business and ultimately build a recognizable home service brand, you're in the right hands. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Construction Generate podcast. Today we have Brandon Clark on, and he is the founder of Reexamine Wealth. He's a financial planner and coach who helps people align their money and their lives and reach financial independence. Prior to Reexamine Wealth, Brandon owned the accounting firm Balance Financial Solutions, BFS, which serves individuals and small businesses. Brandon built BFS from a solo practice into a firm with a team of four employees and multiple subcontractors and partners. It was in this role that Brandon cemented his passion for financial planning and helping clients connect to the various areas of their finances. Brandon exited the firm through an acquisition. Before BFS, Brandon worked for big four multinational accounting firm, followed by smaller regional accounting firms. And altogether, he has spent over 13 years working as an accountant and business advisor. Brandon has a dual bachelor's degree in economics and sociology and a master's in business administration and is a licensed CPA. Brandon, thank you so much for being on today. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. Great to be talking with you. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on because with our podcast, we really do focus, as you know, on the construction trades, design industries. And I think finances is such a big part that people are scared to talk about, don't want to talk about, avoid. Um, And I think that you are going to bring so much value today. So I'm so excited to talk more about that. Before we dive into that, can you give a quick intro of how you got to where you are? What started you to even start your first business and how you got to where you are today? Sure. I originally was an accountant. That was, you know, I guess since 2008 was when I started officially in public accounting. I couldn't have told you back at that point that I would have owned an accounting firm, but it was just one of those things when, you know, I guess I always had the desire for more independence in my life. And the accounting firm route was just one of the uh, route that was presented to me. Uh, after working in larger firms, I wanted to work cl- more closely with individuals and actually directly impact their lives. And so I moved into smaller firms and then this opportunity to acquire a very small practice in Washington, D.C. presented itself and I jumped for it. So essentially, that was how I started Balanced Financial Solutions. Um, And I grew that from being just a, a tax firm that served individuals into one that also worked with businesses and we did, you know, pretty comprehensive work. We did uh, bookkeeping, uh, CFO work, uh, CFO consulting for clients. And then ultimately, I decided that I needed a little bit of a change that I wanted to incorporate some new skills. And so I decided to sell that business. And now I've transitioned full time into uh financial planning, and then also coaching because I realized that coaching and mindset along with financial planning are just, it's a much broader toolkit that you have to work with people to help them make changes. Yeah. Amazing. I think that's a great story from how you got to where you are. And with the coaching aspect, which is super interesting, and you and I have talked a little bit about that. What have you found that people are needing coaching on? Is it that they're spending 
too much money on certain softwares or they're just spending money without looking at a budget or spending more than what they have? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question, actually. In general, just in the coaching area, I feel like just the need to have money conversations in general, it's just become very apparent to me that people want to have those conversations in like a non-judgmental way. There's Most people, especially business owners, aren't ever they don't receive education about how to, you know, how to handle their money. And it's one of those things where people just feel like as a successful person, you know, you should just know that. But it's, I mean, you know, in reality, how are you supposed to know something that you've never really formally studied? And so a lot of what I do with clients is just have some of those best practice conversations and then also try to like figure out their own personal habits and what they're comfortable with and what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then try to help them design a system that works for them and gets accomplishes their financial goals. That's great because I feel like, like you were saying, everyone has different habits or like different ideas of how to spend money because everyone comes from different backgrounds or not that this really impacts me, but all of my, you know, great grandparents or grandparents were in the Great Depression and then that affected their spending. And then, you know, baby boomers spending was affected from that. So it's just really interesting that I'm sure you also see different generations have probably different spending habits too. Definitely. I'm so glad you also started talking about your family because I think some people are sometimes taken aback. The first place I start with clients is that we start to talk about their money background and they usually think they're going to come to me and all we're going to do is start talking about budgets. But usually I just start asking questions about like, tell me about your family. You know, we don't even start with you. Glad that you went there for me. It's all about the mind, right? Money, I feel like we it's just a number, but it's there's so much more emotion and, and background that comes with that. Awesome. Great. Well, I know you have some amazing information for us to review today and go through and that you want to share. So The first thing that we can talk about here is financial information that we need to run our business. So what would you suggest that we use in order to run our business well and to really look at? When clients would come to me, clients were very comfortable with that cash balance. And that was the main thing that they were looking at. But just depending on, especially as you start to try to scale, as you're building, like if your goal is to build out a team and to to start bringing on contractors and so forth, you need to start considering more data points on a regular basis than that cash balance. So a few things, you know, I usually just like to start to work with clients on figuring out what some of those data points are, because they're different for each business, but some that are probably pretty common across the trades that for people who are listening are um, advanced fees. So a lot of times clients will advance you money. And how do you separate that from your cash balance? You know, because that's that's really not your money to spend at that point. What are your upcoming cash needs? Are there non, non-routine expenses that are coming? What's your monthly average burn rate? So burn rate is basically just how much cash do you go through in total in a month? You know, that's another great one to know so that you can know in turn how many, how much you need in sales for the month. What's your actual monthly profit? You know, cash in, cash out profit. What's that dollar amount that you can expect to be able to either put away or take as your, as the owner as a draw? Um, and then what's capacity? Um, so capacity is super important for a service based business to understand. You know, what's the overall amount that you can generate an income based on the people that you have working for you, you know, if all slots are booked? 
And then also, how are you currently booking out uh, compared to capacity? Yeah, those are all really good points. I want to go back to your monthly burn rate. So how much do you need on average in sales to cover it? So how should you calculate that burn rate? Should you look at three months, six months? Should you pull information to know like an average or what do you suggest looking at? Taking an average is a great idea. So there's sort of like looking at your burn rate as well, there's you want to dig a little bit deeper. I would say taking, so you have what's called fixed expenses and then you have variable expenses. Fixed expenses are going to be, you know, those routine monthly kind of administrative costs that they're not going to change much. Now, your average for those costs are going to be pretty consistent and it's very easy to take that average or just look at one month because they're not going to jump around too much. Variable expenses, depending on the type of business you have, though, especially if you're purchasing lots of materials for clients and things like that, now that's going to vary a bit. And so, you know, sometimes taking the average of that for your burn rate may be a little bit troublesome, just depending on how you do your reimbursables. But in general, kind of take like as a starting point that taking an average, you know, maybe over six months would be a good place just to get an idea of of what that number is. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about is your business's capacity and how close are you getting to that capacity? So I think in this industry, based on my knowledge and talking to a lot of people and growing up around it, like my my dad owns a pipe fitting company out in Colorado and he like has to bring on people for certain projects and they're contractors and he has some like a list of people to call when he needs a project happening. So I guess for that, do you have any suggestions on forecasting and like finances when it comes to your capacity and what you need to do if you need more team members? But I'm kind of just wondering if you have any tips on that. Well, I think that what you're asking is a good question. It's always, I mean, you know, contractors are a great resource to have kind of available to you because they're, you know, you don't have to worry about paying them for every hour they've worked, especially if you don't necessarily have the ability to, to fill their capacity. Um, so I would, I would say if you're in a place where you're not really sure in, in terms of your workload, contractors are a great way to add capacity, but not add a lot of additional fixed costs, you know, regular recurring costs. But I would say basically trying to sketch out how much you have, including available contractors and your existing employees. And then, you know, basically say like, how many hours are there in a day? How many hours are there in this month? And then multiply that times the amount of contractor labor, you know, employee labor that you have. And that really that's your capacity number. And so then you also want to then look at your revenue and see how your revenue is kind of looking, or at least your projected revenue and projects, how that's looking compared to, you know, that, that overall capacity piece. Right. Always a game playing when <laughs> do we need to hire another person? Or <laughs> So I think when I work on my finances and looking at when it's ready to hire someone, I'm sure you probably create those dashboards or look at numbers to then coach people on All right now it's time to hire. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it is if you kind of notice that you're continually pushing up against your capacity, the, then this kind of brings me back to another point of that I'm always pretty is that I hammer home a lot with clients is just your ability to then, you know, hire additional people, kind of increase your team is based on your ability to float that additional hot before the revenue comes in. And so 
making sure that you've built up savings in your business is also super important because otherwise you're going to be limiting your ability to expand if you don't have that cash available. Great. That is all really helpful. And with that, not just contractors or employees on your team, but who else do you need on your team for the financial piece of it? Yeah. So what I've done is outline a little bit of, of some of the other, uh, some of the roles and then uh, financial professionals that you could consider having on your team. And I guess the thing I'll say about this is that depending on the size of your business, I'm not saying that you have to have these as an individual on your team or something like that, but you just want to know that someone, a team member or someone is actually fulfilling this role in some form. And then the other thing I'll say is a lot of time people think people think that they're they have an accountant, they're good, you know, they go and they get their taxes prepared and then uh, they have a bookkeeper. And those are kind of like the two places where you start. Those two positions don't help with the expansion of your business. When you look at those two roles, they're looking at past performance and that's it. And so what I want to, you know, bring up is just that there's a few additional positions as you start to grow. One of the biggest bucket is called CFO. So CFO service, like a lot of times people call this like a contracted CFO or CFO services. But some of the things that they help you to do are they help you with business strategy. They actually can help you, you know, you can bring your vision to a CFO. They can help you map that out in terms of revenue and expenses and so forth. And so that's a really key piece. Um, They can help you figure out capacity part that I was talking about. You know, what does it look like if your business grows to a million dollars in revenue, five million dollars in revenue? How does that look? How many people does that require? Another key piece is annual and monthly sales projections. That's kind of once again to that vision, being able to, to outline how that looks for your business. And then budgeting. No, I guess a lot of people dislike this word budgeting, but uh, ultimately, if you are going to grow a business, a budget is necessary. And it doesn't, you know, it's it's not something, it doesn't have to be a bad word where each month, if you go over or under it, it's, it's a really negative thing. But ultimately, you do want to have some guidelines just for how you're spending. And then the other part is just someone reviewing I guess, monthly and quarterly financial reports for you. The major reports that go along with that are profit and loss, and then also your balance sheet. Those are the major reports that most folks look into, but um, you know the ability to also look at how your budget compares to profit and loss, and then also someone monitoring your balance sheet for you know how much your, your liabilities increasing and things like that are important as well. I guess... A couple of the other roles are, you know, I mentioned already bookkeeper. I think most people are fairly familiar with that, but I guess I would say one thing is there are people out there who are doing their own books, but their desire is to grow a business. Definitely realize that how that capacity issue, like, you know, you doing your own books uh, hurts your ability to actually build that time out. So that can be a hindrance. And I was going to say the other couple points places are accounts payable and accounts receivable. Accounts payable really is just the accountant speak for bill payment. It's great to just have that as its own process and to have one person who's in charge of that and is reviewing reports related to that and then also evaluating the effectiveness of vendors and then making payments in one manner so that there's not a lot of chaos. And then accounts receivable, which is really just your invoicing and collections. 
kind of the same thing as accounts payable. It's, it can be great to have one person who's in charge of that or you know, one person who's given that role so that all invoices are collected in a timely manner and uh, cash can continue to flow through the business. So with accounts payable and accounts receivable, can you hire like contractors for that? So if you're a smaller business or are those positions that you hire when you have the capacity to hire a team internally? So I've seen this handled handled in a number of different ways. It can be a very nice system if you have a strong, a strong administrative person or an office manager to handle both accounts payable and receivable or, or two different people, depending on the size of your business. But this is another one of those areas like bookkeeping, where I noticed in my last business that a lot of business owners handle this type of uh, stuff themselves. And they always end up being the bottleneck. And so once again, just in terms of keeping cash flowing into the business, your time, a lot of times the owner's time is much better used in other places. And then other people can do this better than the owner. Yes. I, you're like preaching the choir here to me because I feel like I was just talking to my director of ops about how I'm like, I'm sick of paying the bills myself. (laughs) I'm like ready to, you know, hand that off to someone to take care of because yeah, there are a lot of other things as a business owner that you want to spend time on. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I was going to say too, is that sometimes bookkeepers, some bookkeepers or accountants can also devise systems where they're taking care of, you know, both invoicing and accounts payable. And they can design nice systems where they they can make it pretty seamless for the owner or the, the internal person to just get, make sure everything's getting paid and collected. Yeah, that's great. And so with that and like finding people to help you out with it, like a CPA or a CFO that you want to contract to to help you, something I have found in my circles anyway is that people just don't know where to go to find a good CFO or good CPA. So how do you recommend going about finding someone to work with that's maybe in your local area or where can you find trusted people? That's actually a good question. The industry of accounting actually recognizes that there's definitely a shortage of accountants. I would say uh, these days, uh, most good accountants can work remotely. So looking outside of this, the high income DC area for an accountant actually is not a bad thing. I would say that there's not, DC does have some quirks itself, but there's, there aren't a lot of reasons to make sure that your accountant is DC based per se. I would say if you can find someone who can really get all this work done for you and is like a good trusted advisor, then totally okay to go outside of the city. I guess one of the most important things is industry expertise because then they really, they should already have the systems kind of up and running for your business. So I would say ask around industry associations and, you know, maybe go beyond your kind of local industry and ask. Yeah. I mean, I will not mention names, but I have been burned by a few CPAs before, you know, so it's just kind of like when I started with my most recent one, I felt really nervous about it and giving all of your information. It's your taxes. It's everything. So it's really can be difficult to trust someone. And so I did find ours through our financial advisor, which was helpful, but it is kind of, you get a little nervous trying to trust someone with everything. (laughs) So... Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's where I say the, um, and especially if you can ask in your industry and you find that that accountant is doing more than just, you know, the taxes and the bookkeeping part, then, then it's definitely a good thing to probe, you know, about, all right, tell me more. How, what are, what are they doing for you? How do you, how have you felt since they started working for you? You know, those type of, types of things. 
Another question that I wanted to ask you about was uh, payroll and employee benefits. You have some knowledge on that. Do you have any advice for that as people have employees or have to run payroll or pay their contractors? Are there any softwares you like or any advice there? Yeah, one. I guess probably the the uh, vendor that I prefer, for, at least for smaller businesses, is Gusto. They've generally done a good job of like their system just integrates well with like QuickBooks, which is what most small businesses use. And then the benefits are also very easy to kind of tack on to that as well. I was going to say now, if your business, the place where I have seen Gusto be a little bit it costs people a little bit of troubles if you operate in a lot of different states. You know, once you start adding a, a few other states that can that brings a little bit more complexity to payroll, then you have to register in all these places. And they are good if you're, you know, a little bit more DI want to be a little bit more DIY for payroll, but then you know, kind of moving up to like an ADP or or one of those other companies can they they seem to do a little bit better of a job with several states involved. That's exactly what we did. We started in Gusto, had all of these states, ran into some issues with it. Gusto was excellent for years for us. And then as we grew more, went to ADP. And if anyone's listening to this and wants ADP, I have a great person you can talk to. <laughs> a little plug there. But ADP has been wonderful for us. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the one thing I would say is just uh, even with when having a a good payroll company. The one thing to think about in terms of roles, kind of going back to this um, this idea of you know the roles that you have in the business. There should be one person who's who's tasked with that responsibility of you know how to add employees into the system, how to make sure that you know any changes are updated, that all of that gets carried forward to the payroll system. Probably someone you know once again as you're scaling, not the owner, but the office administrator or whoever just you decide to wear that hat. Yeah, definitely. One question I have for you is if people are looking at having employees and contractors and they're growing more, what is the first thing someone should do when they have a new W-2 employee? So there's, you know, I guess the very first thing, and you've got your offer letter and, you know, I guess they sign the offer letter, then usually it's it's kind of getting them onboarded. And so for most businesses, that's going to be, you know, getting in their I-9 documents, getting them, getting their benefit elections, asking them, you know, how they want their withholding and all that. And, you know, basically getting them into that payroll system so that all that data about you know, how everything needs to be done along with their salary can then be implemented into payroll. Those are kind of the the big steps once you've hired a W-2 employee. And then I guess the other part these days is just if that person's out of state, considering what the state implications are, you know, do you need to do withholding in that other state? Do you need to register in that state, you know, for the withholding account? Because those are concerns as well now that people are so remote. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Brandon, was there anything that we missed today? I was going to say probably the biggest thing I would say to owners, especially folks who are trying to scale, is just to really focus on on cash and making sure that you have ample cash for the expansion that you want. I mentioned this once earlier, but if you really want to grow, you know, kind of look at the amount that you're taking out for draws from the business and realize that there is an opportunity cost between the amount that you invest back into the business versus kind of taking out for your own usage. Uh, so that would probably be the biggest thing. Awesome. That is so great. So my last question for you today is, what is one piece of advice you would give to yourself starting out? 
it would be you're going to do a better job than you think you're going to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's one of those things where I, I feel like business owners can be very hard on themselves. And ultimately, like, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to be a business owner. So definitely not downplaying that at all. But, you know, sometimes the other part too is just that when things are going really well, you don't really give yourself the pat on the bat and the pack and the excuse to, to maybe take a break for a minute as you could. So that's probably what I would tell myself. You're doing a good job. Enjoy it. Yes, that is so true. We can be so hard on ourselves. <laughs> awesome. Well, where can people find you online or how can they get a hold of you? My website is called Reexamine Wealth. So it's all one word, reexamine, no uh, punctuation or hyphens. Uh, and then wealth, reexaminewealth.com. And then my Instagram handle is Examine Wealth as well. You know, I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook too, but I guess I'm probably most active on Instagram and LinkedIn. Amazing. Well, this was super helpful for me and I'm sure it'll be for any business owner listening. So thank you so much for being on, Brandon. Thanks, Emily. I appreciate that. I'm so excited that you just finished another episode of Construct and Generate. Each time you finish an episode, you learn more about what you need to do to grow in the home service industry. If you love listening in, make sure that you follow the show and let me know what you love about it by leaving a rating and a review. It's one of the best ways to support the show. Thank you so much and I'll talk to you next week.